The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty, proudly serving Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties. Call 407-790-9957 or visit WeSellOrlando.net. And welcome to this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret. I'm Eric Lopez. Jeff Sharon is out. He is sick. He says he's got the flu. I personally think he's still sick from the Jaguars' loss to the New England Patriots and the fact that he's going to have to deal with two teams he dislikes in the New England Patriots and the Philadelphia Eagles in the Super Bowl, but that's my theory. Uh, But fortunately for me, filling in here, coming to start the show here, is our very own Brian Murphy, writes for us at theblackandgobanneret.com and has one of the best Twitter names out there. What's your Twitter name again, Brian? Twitter name? Well, good, good setup there, Eric. My Twitter name is at Spokes underscore Murphy. It's Spokes is a little bit of a double entendre. One, because I like to write and say things. But two, <laughs> I'm in a wheelchair. So it's the wheelchair Spokes. Oh, there you go. See, I'm glad you explained that. See, I would never have been able to figure that out. Uh, coming, coming up on this show, we'll talk UCF basketball. They beat USF, but is their season in jeopardy? With Taco Fall being out for the year, and what is in store for Bat UCF as they get set to take on Wichita State? Obviously, I mentioned the Jacksonville Jaguars, obviously losing the AFC title in the New England Patriots. There's a UCF connection. Blake Bortles, lots of questions and speculation about his future. Well, uh, I'll have Zach Goodall joining us later on. He covers the Jaguars for Lock On uh, Jaguars. He's uh, covered him for multiple years, and we'll talk in, in depth about Blake's future in Jacksonville and how that looks. You can obviously check us out on blackandgobanneret.com and check us out on where you like to check out your podcast, whether it be SoundCloud or iTunes, uh, for all the details. Um, let's get going here, Murph. Let's start with basketball, obviously. Uh, you know, this has kind of been a frustrating year. We started the season with Aubrey, before even the season started, Aubrey Dawkins out for the year, shoulder injury. And then we were there for opening night, UCF against Murf, Mercer, and B.J. Taylor goes out with a foot injury and misses pretty much the chunk of the year up until he returns for the classic game against Cincinnati that you were at uh, about a week mm-hmm. ago. And But at least, even though they lost to Cincinnati, the thinking is, hey, you finally got B.J. back. Once he gets himself in rhythm, now you can kind of move forward. And then we find out hours before tip-off of the UCF-USF game on Saturday that Taco Fall will miss the rest of the season as he's going to have surgery on a shoulder injury that apparently he's been having. Uh, Your thoughts when you heard the news of Taco Fall being out for the year? Well, it's, it's crushing because, I mean, we all know about what kind of defensive impact he makes for the team. Uh, and also, if you're just a casual fan – You've probably heard of Taco Fall in passing because he's the tallest, you know, player in active college basketball. So the fact that, you know, no one's gonna be able to see him for the rest of the year and we'll see what his future is, but at least for the rest of this year he he will not be on the court. It's just really too bad. It's it's too bad for UCF's exposure. Um, you know, T V networks like to have Taco Fall on their broadcast because it gives them something to talk about. And um so it's it's really too bad from a number of different angles. Uh, I thought immediately after, you know, kind of like sulking and being like, you know, you got to be kidding me, another injury. You know, we, we you start thinking about, okay, so what happens now? You take Taco Fall out. Obviously, I, you know, people can say, well, 
you know, he doesn't very he doesn't move laterally very well, so guards can get around him. It doesn't matter. All he has to do is stand there, and as long as he, and he doesn't even need to block shots, he changes directions of shots. He makes shooters second guess shots because of his presence. So the defense is going to fall off a little bit, but how does it change the offense? And that's really what these past few days have been about the USF game and then moving into the Wichita State game is how does this offense change without Taco in the mix? Well, we saw, obviously, Chad Brown step up, had a double-double in the victory against USF in a game that, quite honestly, USF, you could argue, outplayed UCF for the majority of the game. UCF kind of made mm-hmm. the run late in the second half, and I remember Mark Wives, who was doing color on the telecast, said it, as soon as UCF made that run, you I, I, you know, USF you know, hadn't won a conference game since last February. It would doubt kind of creep in, and I think it did with USF, and then it was great to see B.J. Taylor, I think, finally just playing and not thinking about, you know, hey, am I going to get hurt? Am I, you know, can I do this? I think he just started just reacting and playing and took over that game, which UCF has been lacking without him in the, in the, in, in the lineup. So good win, but you mentioned it. I, I, I think with Taco and without him, I think you're going to see now, starting with Wichita State and beyond here, Murph, Team's going to attack UCF differently now on their defense. Teams mm-hmm. are going to attack the basket more, whereas before they wouldn't because Taco was an intimidating force. So I think the defense is going to take a hit a little bit, which as a result, you're right, I think the offense is going to have to step up now even more than what we were hoping for when B.J. returned. Right. And, I, you know, look, there's going to be a defensive drop-off. The, 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 the issue is can you mitigate that drop-off with – uh, you know, accelerating and increasing your offensive output. Um, you know, and one thing that, you know, with a, with a smaller lineup, one thing that allows UCF to do is space the floor more. It allows them to get out and run more, which B.J. Taylor said to us on Tuesday when we talked to him. He said, you know, without Taco in there, it's, it's, it, you know, it's, it's too bad. But what it does allow them to do is it allows them to get out and start running more. And this is a team, Eric, you know, remember in the preseason, this is sort of like the UCF fast of the hardcore, Johnny Dawkins wanted to be an up-tempo squad and he had the players to do it, but then you lose Aubrey, who's possibly the best all-around player on the team, and then you lose your point guard, leader, maybe biggest shot maker in B.J. Taylor, that changes everything that you want to do in terms of tempo. And right now, UCF ranks, if you look on Ken Palm, Ken Palm, uh, Ken Pomeroy's advanced metrics for college basketball, UCF, I think, ranks 306th in the nation out of 351 teams in tempo. So that has to change. Uh, but, you know, on that same metric, in that same metric, um, on that same page, they rank fifth in defense, adjusted defense, uh, per, I think, uh, 100 possessions. But their offense is you know, in the low 200s. But with, with more possessions, more tempo, more energy, which is being provided by Chad Brown. Chad Brown played 34 minutes against USF. He is usually a high-energy, short-spurt kind of guy. They think he can kind of do that, but over a longer period of time, if he can, that'd be great. Um, He's going to fight really hard on that glass. But I think without Taco falling there, you're going to just see more possessions from this offense because they're going to be able to beat up their own tempo, which is what they intended to do back in October. What do you expect to see Coach Dawkins do from an adjustment standpoint? You mentioned Chad Brown. Obviously, we'll get... A lot of minutes, but we don't know if he can carry 30, 35 minutes on a consistent basis. What if he gets into foul trouble? What are the options? Right. you got Rokas, the kid that transferred from Texas Tech. We've seen him limited time, always seems to get in foul trouble. Kind of. Uh, do you think he gets some playing time? Do you think 
Maybe Coach Dawkins decides to go small at times, maybe experiments. Could we see something like A.J. Davis maybe playing at center at times, trying to go small? What do you expect to see here starting with Wichita State and then moving forward? Yeah, so well, one thing is we should also point out, an hour after the Taco news broke on Saturday that he would be out for the year, yeah. it was said about an hour before the game against USF that, oh, by the way, A.J. Davis isn't playing either due to a bad ankle. At this point, you're, you're thinking, like, what, what black cat has walked yeah. under the ladder and the umbrella in the house that has befallen this team? The good news is A.J. is going to come back and play against Wichita State. So that will make them a little deeper – you know, inside. I know AJ can play wherever. He can play in the paint. He can play on the perimeter. Roykus has had a tough go of it. You know, if he, you know, he really uh, just has made too many mistakes. So yeah, they they're going to lean on Chad a lot. If he gets into foul trouble, I think they're going to kind of they'll cross that bridge when they come to it. But we talked to to Johnny about you know, do you can you really expect a guy like that? who is a high-energy, high-motor guy to keep it going for 30 minutes, and uh, he thinks Chad can. You know, if you look at the way Chad's changed his body since he's gotten to UCF, I mean, now, you know, he is, he used to, he came in as kind of a skinny kid. He is absolutely shredded, cut out of marble. Uh, his body's phenomenal. And he said, you know, that, that, that part of it, the way that he has conditioned himself physically has kind of prepared him for this situation where he needs to play longer minutes. So I think you're going to see Chad Brown continue to play uh, long stretches, uh, you know, 30 minutes. And they, they believe that he can continue to bring that same energy and enthusiasm. If he gets into foul trouble, yeah, you might see A.J. move down low more. They'll have to bring in Roy Kiss for a few minutes. But uh, this is more about hopefully they can they can stave off that. They can, they can you know, have him play good defense without fouling and then spread the floor, have B.J. back, and you can spread the floor with your shooters, with guys like Dayon and Georgie Muman, and hopefully they can hit some shots. Well, it's a tough spot. They're going to be at Wichita State. That's going to be a tough spot, a Shockers team that's coming in with a two-game losing streak, so they're going to be geared up, ready to go. you got UConn coming up at home, among others. Uh, So where does your outlook for this team now is without Taco? Are you still optimistic? that this team can make a push either to try to get themselves in the conversation for the NCAA tournament or, at worst, make the NIT, or does the expectation or your, your outlook dim because without being without Taco now and it's basically no chance of the NCAAs, maybe NIT? Well, I wouldn't say no chance because you know anything's possible in the, in the conference tournament, which I might remind you is in beautiful downtown <laughs> Orlando. No, not that other downtown Orlando that Lee Corso thinks the football stadium's at. <laughs> The actual downtown Orlando uh, at the Amway Center. So, you know, UCF with the quote-unquote home court advantage, uh, you never know. I mean, you can get hot in a four-day stretch, and you can go to the tourney. I'm interested to see what this new offense looks like. Johnny said it's, it's difficult to sort of – they're changing a lot of what they do in the middle of the season uh, on the fly. But with, with you know, the, the, the guys they have back – uh, with DJ being back, which is huge, with now AJ, you know, being able to play again and seeing what Chad Brown gave them on his, you know, uh, without Taco on Saturday, uh, there's some optimism here. And I'll say this about UCF, but I'm not going to go say I'm not going to say they're going to go into Wichita State and beat Wichita State. They're 13 and a half point uh, underdogs, if that matters to anybody. But Wichita <laughs> State defense has been really, really bad this uh, last well, week, week and a half. They got beat by SMU at home, 
in a game which SMU averaged about 1.4 points per possession. Uh, they scored like 83 points on 60 possessions, which is the worst uh, points per possession average that a Wichita State team has had under Greg Marshall. And then they went to Houston and lost by double digits and didn't even top 60. So I'm kind of interested to see how this UCF team does against a team that, yes, Wichita State's one of the 25 best offensive teams of the nation. But they're really struggling both home and road on defense. And this is a, team that's, this is a UCF team that's trying to find more offense, beat up the tempo, get more possessions, uh, have BJ create more. And um, I think this is going to be a pretty decent game. Moving forward, you know, I think the, the preseason aspirations that this team is, you know, is going to make the NCAA tournament has gone by the wayside. I mean, it's not just the injuries, but, you know, they didn't do enough in a non-conference schedule, including beating Alabama, which, which doesn't look as good now as it did then. Um, and, you know, the offense, you know, as we said, like the offense just hasn't been good enough to this point. They rank... I think 341st in the nation in total points per game. Their free throw shooting is abysmal. They don't they don't make many three pointers. So you can't really expect a team with their resume to all of a sudden you know assume that that, that they need to win a few games and they'll make the tournament. The, the likely likelihood is that this team needs to make it you know four four games in four days or whatever the setup is at the conference tournament to get into the March Madness. Can they make the NIT? Possibly, but uh, they're going to have to get hot. Uh, you know, in college basketball, there are three or four different postseason tournaments. So, yeah, they can get a postseason tournament, but not the one that everybody thought they were going to make back in October. Some of that's just bad luck. Some of that really is bad luck. It'd be, different, it'd be a much different season uh, if Aubrey and DJ don't get hurt uh, before halftime or before the first game is even over. Yeah, unfortunately, this season, I think, is going to end up being, def- no matter what happens, will be defined as what if. A lot of what ifs. Yeah. What if Aubrey doesn't get hurt? What if BJ doesn't get hurt opening night? What if those two are together? It's going to be a what-if year, unfortunately. Taco Fall. Obviously, uh, listen to sports talk radio locally in Orlando, and mm. obviously converse, people trying to stir it up. Is If you're Taco Fall, do you think that will he declare for the NBA draft and things like that? Uh, I personally, Murph, I think it'd be a mistake for him to declare. I don't think he's an NBA prospect. I don't think he gets drafted yeah. if he declares. I've covered the NBA. People watch the NBA. It's a completely different sport in a different league than it was, say, 10, 20 years ago where, uh, you, know, Yow, you know, the 7'5 guy is not really on the court anymore. It's 6'10 guys playing the center position who can play in the perimeter and shoot from the perimeter. So I don't think there's a position for him in the NBA. That being said, do you believe that he will declare for the NBA draft, or do you think he'll be back uh, next year to UCF uniform? Well, you never know a player's intentions because there could be situations behind the scenes that we don't know about. So if he goes, it could be more. It could be a lot more than just he thinks he's ready. He may need to try to provide for his family or, or wherever. I, I don't know. My inclination, just as a as a as a, a voyeur, really is that he probably is best suited to come back, not only because, you know, the season was modified due to the injury, but, you know, what he needed to do this year, uh, besides get stronger and get bigger, which he did, you could see it when he walked in on media day. He was a, he's a, he's a thicker dude. He, got, he put on weight this year. Um, he needed, but other than that, he needed to change his offensive, his offensive game. He needed to be more than just lob layups, alley-oop feeds, and stuff like that, really easy, like like cherry picking baskets. He didn't do that. I mean, and when you saw him try to turn over either shoulder, even if he's in the paint, 
the shots were straight narrows and they were rough and he really does not have an offensive game and uh, that needs to improve. And you're right. Like, even if he does that, where does he really fit in the NBA landscape where everyone is small and, and guys like Draymond Green play the five sometimes? Um, you know, the, the, the days of the, the Manute Bowles and Sean Bradley's guy who stand in the paint is kind of done. And so what they need to do to, 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 to complement that is be offensive. They can't just be, you know, guys who stand in the paint and block shots. They need to provide points and Taco. I don't think Taco can do that at the NBA level right now, but we will see. Um, I, I, you know, I, I guess it wouldn't shock me if he did declare. Uh, I would, I would assume there, there's more to that than we would know. But uh, I would, I would think that he would probably for the if it was just a basketball decision, if it's purely based on basketball, he probably doesn't need to come back and get your degree. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I think unfortunately, I think for him, and I like Taco. I talk to Taco a lot, but if he's going to play professional basketball, I think it's going to be overseas. I don't think it's going yeah. to be in the NBA for sure. Maybe the G League. I don't know. And I would say the same for B.J. Taylor, who's another one that I think people will float that name. He hasn't proven that he could stay healthy over a college basketball season, let alone yeah. an NBA season. So, And I bring it up here, Murph, because if – Taco Fall and B.J. Taylor return next year with this nucleus coming back. You get Aubrey Dawkins, you hope, back, plus the new kids that Johnny Dawkins brings in from a recruiting class. I mean, this team could be really stacked and loaded next year, and maybe this year, you know, seeing the youngsters like the Griffins and uh, and the, uh, you know, certainly the, the youngsters on this roster that are getting their playing time, Douglas getting playing time uh, as well, the Jesus getting Caesar, playing time. Caesar to Jesus, yeah, the really exactly. good driving guard. Right. So if you get these guys to kind of get the experience and kind of learn this year and be back next year even better with BJ and Taco back, then – I think the sky could be the ceiling. Maybe next year is the year that it's meant to be for UCF instead of this year. Yeah, it's sort of the same conversation we had, you know, back in last March. You know, <laughs> that well, next year will be great, and then, you know, all you know, the best laid plans, you know, go up in smoke because of injuries. And so you hope that this team, this team, basically at some point gets some good injury luck because yeah. they deserve it. I mean, we haven't even mentioned the fact that Chance McSpadden. Yeah. Uh, who who has been out for a couple of weeks now had, with a high ankle sprain. He's really their best overall perimeter defender. I mean, they put AJ on they put AJ on some guys on some star scores on perimeter. But if you're looking for pure perimeter defense, he's their best guy on that end, and they don't have him right now either. So I mean, yeah, if this team can stay healthy, which is obviously a huge if, but you look at guys like Cesar DeJesus, who has proven himself to be at least at the very least, as a redshirt freshman already, a really good driver in the paint can kind of get into the lane and either get layups or pass out to open shooters. Dayon Griffin is streaky, but obviously he can hit the three. Terrell Allen's a really good backup point guard who likes to facilitate the offense. And plus, with Taco coming back, with BJ coming back, with uh, with Aubrey in the fold, you know, really, you know, they'd lose Moomin uh, and AJ and AJ Davis. But we'll see what what Johnny brings in in recruiting class, and this is still that's still a good team on paper. It's just can they all actually play together uh, and do what Don, what Johnny wants them to do, which is to run. And uh, so we'll see. But I, I think right now I would not say that all hope is lost. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. You know. Uh, you know. Put the coffin. Put the nail in the coffin in this season. I think there's lots of basketball for this team to play. It's a different team now. I'm kind of excited to see it tomorrow night. It's a huge environment. 
Wichita State's really tough to play at. It's a really difficult environment in college basketball. Uh, a great environment for a fan. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to see how this team performs. I, I, I think as we see the next couple of weeks, as we work our way into February, this offense is going to be better. I think it's going to be uh, just be a, a more exciting offense. And then how much does the defense drop off? And can they get like a net positive out of the added offense and subtract defense? Optimistic. I like that, Murph. I like that. UCF at Wichita State, ESPN2 National Game, 9 p.m. Eastern on Thursday night. So we'll get that look, see how they look offensively. They've had a few days to practice uh, and see if uh, the offense can uh, see some differences there uh, with that. Uh, Murph, before I let you go, I want to ask you about the the Jaguars because you had a chance to be at the Jaguars' wild card playoff win over the Buffalo Bills. Uh, I don't know whether to say, uh, you know, Sorry about that or not? <laughs> I mean, I was a. Uh... <laughs> I, I skipped the UCF Disney parade hmm. to go to that Jags game. I kind of wish I went to that parade, maybe a little bit. Well, you know, but hey, got to see an NFL playoff game, which I have not had to. Um, lots of talk, and I know you do some NFL work uh, on the side uh, in your spare time during the NFL season. Uh, you were in Jacksonville. Blake Bortles, obviously, a hot topic. We're going to have Zach Goodall. I'm going to talk to who covers the Jaguars after you to talk about Blake's future. He's owed $19 million from this Jaguars team if he's on the roster after June 1st. Uh, you were in Jacksonville. What was the vibe when you were in town? Obviously, they were excited on that day with the wild card game, but that was the day where Blake ran for more yards than threw. Um, yeah. What's your gut? Is Blake Bortles – what's his future in Jacksonville? Does he have a future in Jacksonville in your opinion, or do you think he will move on or they will move on uh, away from him? I think – I, I, I would be remiss if, they, if I said that the Jags aren't at least going to test the waters about seeing what they can get outside of Blake Bortles. But really, think of it this way. You know, people look at the $19 million. I, I believe it's a $19 million team option for next season. That sounds like a lot of money. It's not. It's just not a ton of money at the quarterback position uh, when you consider guys like Mike Lennon uh, are getting $15 million a year. He, you know, Mike, remember Mike Lennon for the, for the yeah. Bears? Yeah. Had like a three-year deal, eighteen point five million dollar guaranteed, and he was—they knew he was going to be a backup at some point, and they still gave him that money. I, I, so I'm not freaking out over nineteen million dollars for Blake. Um, he is—I mean, let's be—I'm going to be frank, and people are going to hate me for this. He's still below average quarterback. Like he's not—he's not very good as a passer many times. I mean, the, 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 the streak he had late in the year against some really bad defenses was nice. But, man, that game against the Bills was so ugly. He was missing guys on screen passes by five feet. It was really kind of just nuts. And, he, and really, the, the, he played one of his best games I've ever seen him play against the Patriots. So there is that. He kind of went out on a high note. But I wouldn't trust that, uh, that one, one game or that really hot stretch down, down, the, down the end of the season. Uh, at the bigger picture here. Like, he's still not a great quarterback, but for $19 million, and he's already sort of in your hand, all you got to do is is push yes on the option, I think the Jaguars could do a lot worse. So I think in the end, I think the Jaguars will will, will kind of examine their options, but if I had to bet, I, I, I'd, I'd, I'd say that Blake's probably going to come back for, for the last year of his deal. I can't believe you turned, you UCF hater, Murph. <laughs> That's what I got. Uh, yeah, but, look, I agree with you. Look, I, I tweeted this out at the AFC title game, and tell me if I'm wrong, because when they took a knee 
with 55 seconds left in the first half and two timeouts, which was the first NFL team all year to do that with less than, than 50 seconds, with 50 seconds or, 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 you know, take a knee. I said, this is yeah. a team, a coaching staff that does not believe in their quarterback. And they didn't. And they even were more conservative in the second half. Well, even though he was playing well, they still didn't trust him. So to me, that's a sign that they don't believe he's the guy long term. Um, in my opinion, and that was one of the reasons why I thought they lost the game to New England because they were conservative and they didn't trust their quarterback to make the plays to put that game away. Uh, is that how you felt when you were watching that game? Because that's how I felt. I felt they don't believe in him, and even though he was playing well, it just wasn't good enough for them to trust him. Yeah, a little bit of that. I mean, also, you know, you got to consider the situation of, like, look, we know we're going to win through defense. And so we're up, I think it was 14-10 at half, and let's just take that. Take that halftime lead and see what our defense can do in the second half. And they, they were they were very good. Obviously, they shut him out in the third quarter. Uh, so I think that was that was not really a, a, a damning uh, a damning of Blake more than it was just like, look, we're ahead in New England at the half. Let's take it. Let's let's just take this. We know it's going to be a low scoring game, and we're going to lean on our defense. Um, you know, Blake. Blake played well in that game. I mean, even though they didn't chance at the end of the first half, he really did play well. But I love their receivers. You consider they played basically the entire season without Allen Robinson. I love me some D.D. Westbrook. I think he's got such a high ceiling. Uh, Marquise Lee is a fantastic chain mover. Keelan Cole came out of nowhere to be a stud down the stretch. Leonard Fournette's obviously a beast. Uh, and he can, he can improve his, his hands as a receiver as well. And if you look at that defense and all the young guys they have locked up on that defense for a while, what this team could be like if they have a really good quarterback. Now, there's, they're probably not going to get a really good quarterback on the market. Like They're not going to back up the money truck for Alex Smith. Um, so I think they're probably going to stay with Blake for one more year at 19 mil. But it is tempting to think, like, you look at all those pieces and all that talent, and then at the quarterback position, the most important position in sports, other than possibly a hockey or soccer goalie. Uh, and they have they have Blake, and Blake's got a ton of flaws. He's got a ton of flaws. He can run, he can create a little bit, but man, when it's when it's bad, like it was in that Bills game, it's unwatchably bad. We'll see. I I think they're gonna look for another quarterback in the free agent market if they don't like what they see. I think they'll draft a quarterback, and I wouldn't be surprised if they go to Blake and say, we want to restructure your deal, we'll bring you back, but we want to bring you back at less than $19 million, and maybe they work something out where he comes back at $15 million or $16 million to help out cap-wise and everything like that. But I would not be surprised yeah. if there's a new quarterback uh, as far as that Blake's going to have to work with. In fact, we'll hear coming up shortly from Blake and Adam Schefter from ESPN and his thoughts on what he thinks the Jaguars will do. But I will let you go, Murph, because you're busy. I know you're getting ready, as I am, for baseball season coming around the corner, baseball media day. But tell the audience what you got coming up and you're working on for Black and Go Banneret. Yeah, so I'll be writing a little bit about uh, the basketball team this week. Either I, I'm, I've, you know, I'll probably write a little Wichita State preview tomorrow, a little short thing, but I want to write more of a deep dive about where this team sort of is after the Wichita State game and going forward into that Connecticut game next week, like just kind of a state of the team article. And then, yeah, we've got Baseball Media Day here on Friday, just a couple days away. Uh, the season starts on February 16th. Right away, some good opponents with Virginia and Rice in town. Uh, this team is ranked 22nd in America preseason by Baseball America. Uh, I'm pumped. You know I love baseball more than it. It's my, it's my sport. If there is a sport that I love, it is baseball. Even if it's college baseball, I can't wait. So I'm really looking forward to being out there 
at the soon-to-be-opened John Juliano Park. I was just there yesterday, and it's it's, it's going under quite the facelift. So, Do you have uh, a pre- are you, are you that's gonna, ready. Are you going to have a seat? Go ahead. Are you going to have a seat in the press box? Uh, yeah, at some point, I assume. But, I mean, until it's finished, I, I think it's just sort of going to be like every man for himself. <laughs> like, just sort of like, hey, you're going to sit on the concourse somewhere. It is what it is. I don't. I, I, they can't possibly expect the stadium to be ready you know, in, in three or four weeks when when this when the season begins. It's not feasible from the way from the way it looks like right now. But once it's ready, yeah, I'll be in the press box. I gotta be. Yeah. Hey, we're gonna be there one way or the other. You got Virginia in the opener. We'll we'll be asking questions. I'll be out there with you in media day as well. I'm excited like you are. Actually I'm I'm People call me weird, but I love spring sports. It's like my favorite time with UCF baseball. I've been going to baseball games and covering baseball since that stadium uh, in 2000, 2001, as a matter of fact. And obviously I got softball wow. commitments as well that I will be uh, attending to as well. So you know I love this time of year, Murph, and uh, excited that you'll be a part of it with us as well. Uh, appreciate you taking the time and doing the late pinch hit for the uh, the man that's still sick and – you know, maybe he'll get over the Jaguar. I think he's just trying to get over the Patriots Eagles Super Bowl thing as a Giants. He's so he's, you know. he, Jeff Jeff is just so distraught that yeah. the Giants didn't hire Jim Schwartz Jim <laughs> Schwartz to be their to be their new head coach. In his defense, after watching the Vikings' offense uh, performance against Philadelphia, I would be a little I'd be a little <laughs> concerned with yeah their new head coach who's the all you know. But hey, that's his problem. Not yeah. All right, Murph. I'll see you out there at Baseball Media Day, but take it easy. Thank you, well. That's Brian Murphy joining us there. Thanks to him for uh, joining us. Coming up, Zach Goodall covers the Jacksonville Jaguars for Lock On Jaguars. What is the future for Blake Bortles? That's coming up. Plus, I'll get into a little bit of women's basketball in, uh, as well before the show ends. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. The Black and Gold Banneret Podcast is brought to you by the Unger Real Estate Group, powered by EXP Realty. Sam Unger and his team proudly serve Orange, Seminole, and Lake Counties, specializing in buying, selling, and new construction. Sam is a proud UCF graduate, class of 2006, and he's such a dedicated Knight fan that right now, if you work with him as your realtor, he will donate a portion of his commission to the UCF Football Excellence Fund in your name. So if you're ready to buy a new home or sell your current home, upgrade or downsize, Sam and his team have you covered so you can find the right home at the right price in the right location. So give them a call right now at 407-790-9957. Again, that's 407-790-9957. Or visit on the web at WeSellOrlando.net. Again, that's WeSellOrlando.net. You can also reach them on Facebook at Facebook.com slash we sell Orlando. Get in touch with the Unger Real Estate Group today and make finding your dream home a reality. Hello, Night Nation. I'm Andrew Fegley. And I'm Trey Strelko. Um, uh, um, where are we? This isn't our usual spot. It looks like we've landed in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Oh, yeah. I've, I've heard of those guys. 
You know, Nightline has UCF Sports covered. Week in and week out, we bring you interviews with newsmakers and in-depth analysis of UCF Sports. Subscribe to our weekly podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe to Nightline on YouTube, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Nightline. Trace, can we go back to the 1148 studios now and start working on our next all-new Nightline? How do we get out of here? Go Knights! Charge on! Now back to you guys in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. And welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez here with you. Coming up here in a moment, we'll be joined by Zach Goodall, who covers the Jacksonville Jaguars on Lock On Jaguars. Of course, the NFL Jaguars Super Bowl is set. It is the Philadelphia Eagles and the New England Patriots. My colleague Jeff Sharon's not here. He's got the flu this week. I think he got the flu because of the Super Bowl matchup, but as a result, a lot of fans, UCF fans, disappointed because Blake Bortles and A.J. Bouye and UCF uh, connections not in the Super Bowl for the Jacks. Latavius Murray with the Minnesota Vikings not in the Super Bowl as well. But a lot of questions now in this offseason will be about Blake Bortles, which has become a very, uh, very, very touchy subject for a lot of people. Some people think he can't play. UCF fans take offense to that and so forth. Uh, let's play before we are joined by Zach Goodall. Here's the clip of Blake Bortles asked about his future following the AFC championship game and what he had to say, hopeful that he could stay in Jacksonville. I, I wouldn't look at it any differently if, you know, regardless of what the contract situation was. Um, I've enjoyed my four years here in Jacksonville, and I would love to be able to play here for as long as they'll let me. Um, and, you know, what they do and all the decisions that are made, you know, it's kind of outside of my control. So um, I, I'd be, you know, thrilled to be able to stay here and play here. And, um, you know, hopefully that, that can happen. What do you think? Yeah, I think definitely. Um, you know, kind of the floor rises. You don't start from the, the, the bottom anymore. I think um, you know, guys have a foundation and you know have have an understanding of what the concepts and everything are. So I think uh, you know, kind of allows you to get more dynamic and more. Um, you know, specific in the things that we can do and the things that we can start teaching earlier. That was Blake Bortles after the AFC Championship game. But, of course, many wonder what's the move that Jacksonville will make. ESPN NFL insider Adam Schefter thinks that the Jaguars are going to seek options outside and see if they can upgrade at the quarterback position. Here's Adam Schefter. Non-guaranteed $19 million for this upcoming year. Okay. So. I think what most people believe is going to happen here is that the Jaguars are going to look around for another quarterback, and they'll see if there's a better alternative on the street available through trade, whatever it may be, whether that's trading for Alex Smith, signing Kirk Cousins, going after Case Keenum. You pick the guy, David. It doesn't matter. If they can go get a veteran who they believe is an upgrade over Blake Bortles, then you simply just have to release Blake Bortles. You get the quarterback you want. You let Blake Bortles go. They don't owe him any money guaranteed for next year at all. So if they can upgrade the position, I think they will. That's Adam Schefter of ESPN joining us uh, or on ESPN. That was the SportsCenter Monday edition after the AFC title game. What is the future for Blake Bortles? He's due $19 million if he's on the Jaguars roster after June 1st. Joining us to discuss that and much more other UCF-related notes that compare to the Jaguars, he's covered the Jacksonville Jaguars and covers them currently for Lock On Jaguars. My good friend Zach Goodall joining us here now on the Black and Go Banneret Podcast. Zach, how you doing? Doing good. It's, um, you know, since the loss this past weekend, 
even I figured I'd get a little bit of time off from covering football in what was a great run for Jacksonville, but um, got right into senior bowl coverage the next day. So it hurt to talk about the Jags, but it had to be done. <laughs> so here we are. Yeah, no, it's helped. We- it's helped. It definitely helps get past the loss a lot quicker. True, you move on. You move on very quickly. And I can tell you there are a lot of UCF fans who were very upset. Obviously, they were rooting for Blake. And we'll get into Blake in a moment and his future because that's been a very – uh, very contra- I mean, controversial topic. I mean, a lot of people are kind of on one side or the other when it comes to Blake Bortles, so we'll get into that a little bit. But I, we were talking off the air, and you mentioned Senior Bowl and, uh, and it's Senior Bowl week, and there's a UCF player that a lot of Knights fans are looking at, and that's uh, Shaq Griffin. Uh, Shaquem Griffin, obviously, is an All-American linebacker, and perhaps interest from the Jaguars, Zach? Is that what you're hearing? Yes, uh, and... I myself am a UCF fan. I'm, I'm a college student now planning to transfer there within a couple of years, so my heart goes out to the national champions. Uh, that's that's what they are in my heart. A um, lot of love, especially for Griffin. Uh, his story is so incredible to me. and he, he He's going to be an inspiration for so many young kids, um, when, especially where he's at now and moving on to the next level as well. But um, my co-host for the Lockdown Jaguars podcast, Chris Thornton, is representing us at the Senior Bowl. I unfortunately couldn't go after a week at the Shrine game last week. But he is there. He's meeting with prospects. He's getting as many scoops as he can. And I can confirm that the Jaguars did meet with Shaquem Griffin the first night of Senior Bowl events. Pretty uh, pretty cool that he was one of the first guys it sounds like they uh, met with. And he also told Chris that, there are plans for him to meet with the team again this week. So there seems to be a certain amount of interest there. I'm curious to see where they view him as a fit because even though he was great as a pass rusher, even though he could drop back in coverage, even though his twin brother played corner, um, you know, he, there's so many different things he can do and no one knows exactly what he will do best at the next level. I would figure the Jaguars would view him as a Sam linebacker. They run a 4-3 base scheme. They run a lot more nickel when the Sam would be off the field more, but they've been looking at some linebackers so far at the Senior Bowl from what I've put together. Makes me think that they could include that Sam backer a lot more in the scheme next year and open it up, be a lot more versatile. In which case, a guy like Shaq playing an under linebacker where he gets to either rush the passer, set the edge against the run, or even cover the flat, it kind of fits all of his strengths. So I would, as both a Shaquem Griffin fan as well as someone who analyzes the team, I would love, love his fit here. Uh, I know there was news came out the NFL didn't invite him to the Combine at this time now, and a lot of people are upset about that nationally and obviously UCF fans. But as I understand it, they could still do some invites later on. It's a very Obviously, it's a very small group. Uh, they didn't invite him initially, but there's still a chance they could invite him down the road, isn't it? They could. Um, right now, according, he was doing an interview with NFL Network uh, yesterday. I was watching it, and he, they asked him about that and if there was any buzz to uh, him potentially getting an invite. He said that he was on their quote-unquote suggested list. I don't know if that's something the NFL put out or if that's just like big media, but I think it's kind of a 50-50 chance he gets an invite. I think it would be a total disrespect if he wasn't because he's one of the most you know intriguing players in the entire sport and in the draft. He might be the most polarizing draft prospect ever, and I think – you know, his production in college, his reputation gives him every right to be included with some of those guys that will be at the Combine. I do think he could end up getting an invite. They've got a month until the Combine, and I think they stop sending out invites within the next couple of weeks. So I would look, especially if he has a strong senior bowl performance, I think he would get the call immediately after. 
And and even if he doesn't get that invite, that doesn't mean he can't get drafted in the NFL draft. Teams sometimes uh, obviously will check him out. I'm sure there'll be a pro day that UCF will hold. Mike Hughes, who's a very high prospect cornerback, I'm sure they'll have a pro day, and NFL teams could see him then. So uh, I, I, is it really a little overblown that if he doesn't get invited to the combine, it's not the end of the world? It is not. Um, I mean, if you go to the combine, your chances at getting drafted are – a lot higher than guys who don't, but there are guys every year that don't end up getting invited to the combine. And most of the reason is that they might go to a smaller school or something there. They've got different excuses for it. I personally don't like how selective it is. I definitely think Griffin deserves a chance to be there, but there's, it's definitely not the end of the world if he doesn't get the invite, but that's, <laughs> if there's anything you know about Shaquem Griffin, it's that he plays with a chip on his shoulder, especially considering he doesn't like to call it disability, but to anyone that could describe it, I don't know how you could do it better than just say it's a disability without his hand. But that would just give him an even bigger chip on his shoulder. And I, all I see in his future is a uh, success story. I know you've studied this draft, uh, part of covering the Jaguars, especially early in the season. Hey, you got to prepare for the draft. Who would have thought they would go all the way to the AFC title game? But as a result, you, you have a pretty, you, you, you know, you have a pretty good sense. You're studying the draft, and you mentioned how you think Griffin could fit to the Jaguars. I, I, I'm curious. I mentioned Mike Hughes, Jordan Aikens is at the Senior Bowl, and things like that. Uh, it, it, any feel you have for a Mike Hughes uh, as far as where he could end up, or Jordan Aikens? Anything you've heard from your connections as far as uh, some of the UCF guys in this draft? So I know there's a lot of hype for both Hughes and for Tra- uh, Traquan Smith. Smith, I haven't seen as much of Hughes at the Senior Bowl because my buddy, who um, the co-host Chris, he's been doing a lot with quarterbacks, not as much with corners because the Jaguars are obviously doing relatively well at corner. <laughs> but um, the, there's still been some plays where Hughes has been out there and, and doing solid in coverage. He's a guy that I told Chris specifically to focus on um, throughout the week when he has time. Uh, but I know Traquan Smith has also been doing well, uh, finding a lot of separation in his routes. I knew he was kind of a late pickup to the senior bowl, both he and Hughes, once they declared. Um, but he's he's looked pretty solid um, when he was out there. I saw a couple of videos of him getting some routes. Um, and I think both of these guys are draftable prospects. I think they are draftable within the first two days which, uh, by the end of round three. Where they go, I'm not sure. I know Dan- Daniel Jeremiah recently put out a mock draft and had Hughes going in the top 15. I can't remember to who where, um, right. who has the 15th pick, but I remember reading that. That was the first time I had seen Hughes with um, uh, first-round link this entire draft process. But if he's getting that from a guy like Daniel Jeremiah, that means that teams are just as high because Jeremiah's got a lot of great sources in the NFL. So I think he and Smith both have a great opportunity of finding um, a home and being able to translate well to the NFL because they're both special players. I'm curious because obviously when Blake Bortles' topic gets brought up, one of the things that constantly gets follow-up is the the weapons he has around him. And obviously the Jaguars were hit with injuries at the wide receiver position this season. It started right away with Allen Robinson missing all year long. Marquise Lee was banged up as he usually was. Allen Hearns missed games. I mean, you had to depend on guys like rookie uh, D.D. Westbrook. uh, uh, I mean, it was just kind of named the Jaguar wide receiver at some point during the season at times it seemed like. Is that a position you think the Jaguars will address either in the draft or free agency? And if it's, if so, could Traquan Smith be a target for the Jaguars maybe in the draft? I think there's potential for it. I don't see any chance of Allen Robinson leaving Jacksonville. His contract is expiring 
um, his ACL injury is going to hurt his market value. Uh, if he didn't receive this ACL injury, he would be uh, he'd probably be one of the top paid receivers in the NFL by the, by this point. Um, I think they tag him kind of as a prove it deal, but at the same time, when you tag a receiver, he's getting I think fifteen million on that tag, so it's a prove it deal with pretty nice upside to it. Um, and then I think if he's fully recovered after that tag, then they give him whatever type of money that he wants, make him one of the highest paid receivers in the NFL. So they've got their number one guy. I think Marquise Lee walks because after the emergence of D.D. Westbrook as a solid possession receiver who will look to grow his role next year, as well as undrafted rookie Keelan Cole has been a deep threat for the team in the lack of Allen Robinson uh, on the field. So those guys have roles, and I think they both have more important roles at this point than Marquise Lee. Marquise Lee has always been a guy that would make me think he wants to be a wide receiver too somewhere and get paid like one. That's anywhere in the, let's call it, 8 to $10 million a year range. Jacksonville wouldn't be paying him eight to ten million, I don't think, when they've got a lot of other things that they need to send money on, like an Allen Robinson, like if they go after a Kirk Cousins, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, when they have to pay Ramsey or Ngakwe or Jack in the future. So I don't think that they'll end up giving Lee that type of money when they've got some young guys behind them. But when you look at it then you've got Alan Hearns who could be cut. They've got an out in his contract this year. He could restructure. He's a solid veteran presence. You've got Allen Robinson, who, despite being a great receiver, has the obvious injury concern now. And you've got two rookies who came on later in the year. So I think they will end up drafting a receiver at some point or signing someone. I don't know exactly when they'll do it. I'd assume the receiver would come sometime in the late rounds, four through seven. Um, If Traquan Smith were to fall, they love their value, guys. Uh, Miles Jack fell to the second, and they traded up for him. Cam Robinson fell to the second. They've traded up for him, so... If he's a guy that, you know, is getting third-round hype and falls to the fourth round and Jacksonville sees that and they want to just add another weapon to their arsenal, whether it's Blake Bortles throwing to him or someone else, I think they would like to upgrade their weapons throughout this draft. So that could definitely be a thing. There's a use, there's a bit of a UCF pipeline to Jacksonville if we're, uh, we haven't picked up on it yet. No, so I could see it. Absolutely. That's why we're, I was curious if Traquan could be an option there, especially looking for a receiver there that can make an impact. You mentioned D.D. Westbrook was a late pick, uh, so forth. All right, well, let's get into Blake. Uh, you mentioned earlier you're a UCF fan. You're actually going to try and come to UCF, which I'm excited to hear. Uh, hit me up when you're in town. I'll show you the ropes having <laughs> gone to school there. Uh, but in fairness, you, I, and I've had you on over the years here on the on the market and the Orlando market on the radio station, You've been critical of Blake, and not just you yourself, in fairness. A lot of the Jacksonville media and fans of Jacksonville have been critical of Blake, especially after the season he had a year ago. Assess the year that Blake just finished having. So, I look at Blake's year this year, and he was very much improved compared to what he did last year. And I'm not going to go out of my way and say he was great or even very good. He just played, I think the best way to say it is he didn't push the needle, but he did enough for them to find more success than anyone predicted. Now, I look at it as Blake has probably reached his ceiling, and it really sucks because everyone in Jacksonville, whether they don't like him or they like him as a quarterback, everyone has a place in their heart for Blake in a way because of the way he's handled his criticism. You know, he's never been one to snap back at anyone. He's always been cool, calm, and collected. He's been a city guy. He had, his rookie year, he set up a foundation, um, a charity foundation in the city. 
Um, he's always just been kind of laid back. People will see him out in public. And there were the drinking rumors, which I don't buy whatsoever, that he was a drinker before games. No, no one had pictures of that. No one had any proof. At the same time, people saw him at the bars, and what would he do? He wasn't buying his own drinks. He was buying drinks for other people just because he was that guy. Like, he was a guy that everyone really just enjoyed being around. So it, it sucks to say that he's nearing the end of his contract, even though they picked up his option, because I don't think he has many days left in Jacksonville. It could either be he's here one more year and they still look for insurance policy or a replacement, or he could end up being cut before March comes along so they don't have to pay him $19 million on option for next year. I'm not sure exactly what they do. Um, he had a solid season in a really basic playbook that they made for him just so they can run the ball as much as possible and try and not have him be mistake-prone like he was last year. And it was solid, but it, did, like, it doesn't move the needle to beat a team like New England despite playing a relatively solid game against New England. In which case, I think they... I mean, so far from what I can tell, they are interested in draft quarterbacks. Um, we were able to confirm on Tuesday morning that they had already met with Mason Rudolph out of Oklahoma State, and he is a guy that I know they've sent scouts to, I believe, at least five of his games this year, and he fits that Parcells threshold for quarterback rules or whatever it is. There's a bunch of different, like, older type of rules, must be a senior, three-year starter, all this kind of stuff, and that's the thing, Tom Coughlin, apparently abides by when scouting quarterbacks. The rumor is Coughlin really likes Rudolph. So at this point, it seems like Rudolph could definitely be a guy they target. In which case, if you are drafting a young quarterback, I do think that means Blake is back here next year as the starter. Um, I don't know if that's really indicative of a bright future for him and more that he'd still be kind of a stopgap until they feel they're ready with Rudolph. Unfortunately, it just doesn't seem like Blake is going to be the guy for much longer, which... It's in the best interest of the team, but at the same time, like it does suck to say that, especially after the year that he and the team had this year. Well, and Zach, and, and that's one thing I've tried to tell, kind of prepare UCF fans for, and I've gotten crushed for it. Like an example, during the AFC title game, I'll never forget, 55 seconds left, first half, two timeouts, and Doug Marone decides to take a knee. Jaguars become the first team mm -hmm. all season in the NFL to take a knee with more than 50 seconds left in a half. And I said, yep. this staff doesn't believe in Blake Bortles. Everybody that watches that game, they don't believe him. And a lot of people got off me. Oh, you're a hater. You're Why are you being a UCF hater? How could you do that as a UCF guy? And I'm like, I'm not a Blake hater. I, I'm rooting for Blake. I have a Blake jersey, a uh, Jaguar jersey. So <laughs> I'm, I'm rooting. But I, I just see what my eyes see here, Zach. And to me, this coaching staff doesn't believe in Blake Bortles. And like you said, I think they're just trying to get by with him. Tell me why I'm off base right. on that, because to me, they had chances to open it up because he played great in the first half, and they still didn't trust him, and they didn't trust him when they had a chance to put that game away in the second half. So why would they keep him around if they don't trust him? How's that going to change? How's he going to earn that trust? I would love to speak to anyone who called you a hater because <laughs> they're wrong. Um so I look at it as they didn't, they've shown times throughout the year where they didn't trust him and there were points where he wasn't playing well and I understood it. At the same time, it's indicative of you of a coach. Like it's not very, I guess the word, I'm trying to find the best way to put it. It's not really smart of you to abandon something that's working, especially against a team like New England where <laughs> if last year taught us anything, you never, ever want to sit just sit comfortably on a lead over New England 
because they will come back from 25 points down in the Super Bowl with 17 minutes left, and they will make you they will make you pay. And that's what Jacksonville did. Blake Bortles had a very very good first half. They were up, at, and there were some there were penalties that should not have been called against Jacksonville, and there were penalties that should have been called against New England. That's a whole different story. I, I if without some of the calls that they gave Jacksonville, this is a totally different outcome, and Jacksonville's likely to the Super Bowl. But that happens, so we have to get past that and look at it to the actual game. If the Jaguars had stuck with what worked, and it was still working in the second half, people will say the Patriots were starting to adapt to what they were doing. They weren't, because Jacksonville was able to put up two field goal drives at the start of the second half. Blake Bortles was 5 for 9 for 70 yards up until that 20th point when they had a 10-point lead. They could have kept doing what they were doing and ran play action on first down, which has been which is what Blake did perfectly against Pittsburgh. It was the entire game he was able to find comfort doing that. And instead, they kept running Leonard Fournette on first down and second down, and then on third down, they'd have to rely on Blake from third and ten, and we knew that that wouldn't work because that's not where he's comfortable. It was a way too conservative play calling once they had felt that they were comfortable with the lead, where they felt they could trust their defense, and I applaud them for wanting to trust their defense because it's the best in the NFL. But you're going against the Patriots. So I I look at it as a failed job by the coaches to abandon what was working with Blake. Surprisingly, like he was looking great against the Patriots, and no one really expected that. But he was the one that was really working, and it was clicking, and the offense was moving with him even into the second half. So them just dropping what he was doing, I think that cost them a trip to Minneapolis. If Jacksonville is in Minnesota, if Blake drives him down for a game-winning touchdown in the last 248, is Blake's future in Jacksonville different? Yes, 100%. Wow. He is here. Because, I, I mean, even now, it's hard to say that you need to replace your quarterback when you went to the AFC Championship game, and until 10 minutes left in the game, you had a 10-point lead over the New England Patriots. At the same time, I think, especially with what they did, that showed that Blake isn't the future here. But even if they win that game where they abandoned what Blake was doing, if they still somehow pull out a win, and then they somehow go to the Super Bowl, let alone win it, I think that just how how do you right. replace Blake at that point? Because you, even if he is a liability, you just went to the freaking Super Bowl with him. So I, I do think for now that they're going to try and find his replacement, whether it be an immediate replacement or a long-term replacement. But one way or another um, – I think coaching um, from the AFC Championship game had a huge impact on it. That's, and I tweeted the same thing. I tweeted it at, on the, at the time, like, Blake's future in Jacksonville could come down to this next 248 in the game, could determine his future. Mm-hmm. And it's dramatic sometimes how sports is. Some might say it's not fair and whatever, but that's kind of how this works. So you, let's mention the options here. Let's start. What are the likelihood that the Jaguars will, re- will try to replace Blake via the free agent uh, uh, market? Some people have – suggested a Kurt Cousins? Do they go after a Kurt Cousins? Do they go after Alex Smith uh, of the Chiefs or somebody else? What what are the likelihood of the free agents and who are the likely targets? So with Alex Smith, you have to trade unless somehow he's released, but I don't see the Chiefs releasing him with the opportunity of getting some sort of value out of him because there is a there, Cleveland might trade for him. Arizona might. Jacksonville certainly in those um, in the same rumors. I don't think he pushes the needle much further than where Blake has it because 
Kansas City was a great team this year for the most part. They were very well built. And if they had a better quarterback, they might have been a bigger threat. But even though Alex Smith has always been just, you know, average, never, I mean, since he started picking up in San Francisco, then was traded to Kansas City ever since then, like he's just been consistently average to good, not great. So I don't think he really pushes the needle for Jacksonville, and I don't know how much they'd want, Kansas City would want for him, and I don't think Jacksonville would be willing to budget how much they'd want to give up for him. Kirk Cousins, he pushes the needle. And I'm not going to go out and say that he's some great, great quarterback or elite quarterback. He's very good in a system um, that has worked for him with a lot less um, talent around him, not a great supporting cast, a lot of turmoil in Washington, you know, losing GMs, losing assistants, stuff like that. It's never been really set for Kirk, and he's still done well. Thing is, Kirk is going to get – end up being the most, the highest paid quarterback in NFL history likely this offseason. And that'll obviously change because the market for quarterbacks just keeps going up every year. But at some point it will be known Kirk Cousins is probably going to be the highest paid quarterback in NFL history. I like the idea of Kirk because if you sign him, that means this team is winning the Super Bowl next year. I would just go ahead and say that now. At the same time, if you're giving him the money that he's projected to make, good luck paying. You've got Jalen Ramsey. You've got um, Miles Jack, you've got Yannick Ngakwe, all in the same offseason because they were all drafted the same year. So within the next one to two years, because you can sign them after their third year, but even if it comes to their fourth, you have to pay all three of those guys, and they're all going to, they all deserve like top money for their own positions. You've got Leonard Fournette a year removed, and running backs will be easier to replace, but I do think that he's a long term uh, back here, so he's another guy you'd have to pay. Um, Cam Robinson same year as Leonard like this is all a lot of future thinking it's two to three years down the road at the same time when you're dishing out 27 ish million a year to a quarterback even if you've got even if you've got smart guys up in your front office to manage that cap it's going to be very hard to retain all of these stud defensive players especially when you're you're known as the best defense in football you don't want to lose those pieces suddenly that makes your window a lot shorter so I think with Kirk you sign him right now you're winning a Super Bowl next year, and you're definitely contending, maybe winning it again the year after. But that shortens the window by the financial aspects of it. So yeah. it's, it's it's a win lose, but at the same time, you do get the Super Bowl. So if you feel that's the you got to do what you got to do, is Eli Manning a, a, a kind of a, a not happen, no shot at all? I know that was speculated when Eli got benched with the Giants. They've got a new coach, and the belief is he'll stay with the Giants. But they do have a, a very high draft pick. What? Who's to say they take a quarterback? Obviously, the history that he has with Tom Coughlin. Do you give that any validity? I'm 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 torn on it. I don't know if Eli necessarily wants to leave New York, even with what happened this year. I think New York drafts his replacement, but they're the situation where even though they're they were a horribly managed team and just a bad team this past year, they're still the ideal situation out of any of those like top five teams that are looking at quarterbacks where a rookie could come in, even if he's the most polished, highest floor quarterback there, and sit behind a guy like Eli Manning because Eli wasn't granted any favors this year. He's way removed from what he used to be, but losing all three of his top three receivers to injury, having a terrible offensive line, having no run game, like he wasn't helped. So you help him with that as well as draft his replacement, and then you've got like a steady quarterback for next year 
then a year removed from that is when you can play a Josh Rosen, a Sam sure. Darnold, right. or whoever whoever they're taking there. If he were to be released um, this offseason, I feel like the Jaguars could be a contender strictly because of the Coughlin relationship. I also don't know how likely it is. Because if you go after him, I think you also draft someone. And that means that Blake Bortles is completely removed from the situation because you're not having Manning, Bortles, and a rookie on the roster right. all at the same time. Right. But I, I think it's the longest shot, but I wouldn't rule it out. Is there another quarterback in the market you think could be of interest to the Jaguars, or is it basically comes down to those names that we just talked about? I think it'd come down to them. There's always wild cards. Um, Teddy Bridgewater is a name to watch out for. I've Jacksonville fans always love Teddy. He seemed like either he or Manziel were going to be the guy in the draft. They took Bortles. No one was expecting it to be Bortles. Um, a lot of people just love Teddy. At the same time, Teddy hasn't thrown a football in an NFL game in two years due to his injury, his freak injury. So you're taking a lot of risk, especially if you sign him and you have Bortles on the roster, like, there's so much downside potentially there that it could ruin your window of trying to compete. Maybe Case Keenum, after the season he's had, if he's not retained, if Minnesota feels like Bridgewater is the answer, then Keenum ends up being, uh, but to test the market, maybe Jacksonville pays him. But I would consider it to be Cousins, Smith, with the wild card being Manning, and then long, long shots being Bridgewater or Keenum. If I told, if you had to invest in a prediction and say the Jaguars are more likely to sign a quarterback in the free agent market or trade for a quarterback, or are they more likely to draft a quarterback to be their next guy? What would you say? If you asked me this literally like three days ago, I'd have probably said draft. But with what Schefter's saying about how they're going to do their research on Cousins and Smith specifically, I'm torn 50-50. I don't because, I mean, even though it Schefter has specifically said this is what he thinks, I don't think Adam Schefter would be out saying this stuff repeatedly without some form of substance, and he's Adam Schefter, so he knows someone in every NFL office. I think they're going to do their research on quarterbacks in both aspects. I'd say it's about 50-50 on where they'd take them. I also know they've done a ton of work on prospect quarterbacks themselves so with the season Blake had if you were to tell me that they maybe didn't have him on his option but instead brought him back on a more team-friendly deal like a two-year 20 million something like that have him be that quote-unquote veteran presence in draft a rookie at 29 or whether it be trade up or take one in the second round I would I, I I'd be totally fine with it and I think that'd be more likely when it's all said and done but I, I really don't know at this point well, I was going to ask you, that's going to be the big, the last Blake question I had for you is, I believe they owe him $19 million if he's on the, if he's on the Jaguars roster after June 1st. When the Jaguars report for training camp in July, in June and July, will Blake Bortles be a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars? I, yeah, I, I've got no clue at this point. Is it really that 50-50? You, you, is it like right down the middle, you think, right now? I think so because yep. if if they didn't if they didn't make the playoffs, even if they had improved their record by double from three and three uh, three and thirteen to six and ten, like that's a one hundred percent improvement. Even if they're at eight and eight, I think at that point they'd they'd have let him go with the improvement still being there. Like there's so much potential for this team to be so dominant to where it would have been an easy yes, he's gone. 
They just played the AFC Championship right. game. So I really think I really think it depends on what they do with the free agent market. If they do nothing with the free agent market, then I think he is here. If they do something with free agents, no matter who it is, I think he's gone. Right, and they could still draft a quarterback and keep Blake, like you mentioned, which be kind of like what kind of happened, ironically, when Blake got drafted and Chad Haney was still around. So he could still be around for yep. another year or two and until the rookie they decide that the rookie quarterback is ready to play. So that will be very interesting. One quick last question, very short, and only because I feel like we've shafted him, but A.J. Bouye, pro bowler in, in Orlando, uh, immediate impact to this team coming over from Houston. Just your thoughts on A.J. Bouye and the year that he had and the impact he had on this football team. He was worth every penny. I'll tell you that much. He was a huge aspect of their defense. We like to make a joke that, like, not only does Jacksonville have the best corner in the NFL, but they've got the best 1A corner in the NFL. And what makes it even funnier is that we don't know who's who. Yeah. <laughs> There's Jalen Ramsey. There's Jalen Ramsey, and there's AJ Boyer, and they're they're so different in their styles of play, and it works. It's like such a perfect mesh. Like Ramsey is the physical, like shit talker, makes a big play. Like Will is not afraid to hit you, and I mean he's great in coverage, but like he's got so many different other athletic aspects that make him so great. Like he doesn't need to be perfect in coverage because he, he can do all this other stuff. Whereas Boye is the technical guy, and he said it himself in just about every interview this offseason until the season started. You heard him say he was working on his technique in almost every response to every question he was getting about the football field. And that's what he was. He was so he was the most technical corner maybe in the league in terms of he was never getting beat deep. If there was a deep play made on him, he was still making a great play on the ball, and he just got you know out athlete. I mean, Antonio Brown and his touchdown reception of Boye in the Steelers' um, divisional game. There was nothing Boye could have done better. He played him perfectly. But um, Antonio Brown is Antonio Brown, and he made a great touchdown catch. But you never saw him getting beat um, deep. He might get beat on something like a comeback route, but if you're going against a guy with sharp um, footwork, it's really hard to defend that, even if you're the elite type of corner that Boye and Ramsey are. But all in all, he was so technical and so poised in what he did, and that made him just as much a shutdown corner as Jalen Ramsey. I think Boye is overshadowed because Ramsey's a guy that you know teams hate because he's an ex- he he likes to come out and talk crap to you. Uh, he likes to get in your head. He has gotten in his share of fights, um, stuff like that. So he'll get over Boye will get overshadowed for it. But Boye has been just as effective in his own way as well as Ramsey. Zach Goodall joining us here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Zach, uh, great stuff. Tell the audience and the, our audience where they can find your work, about your the podcast, the website you're involved, as well as you on Twitter. So you can find me on Twitter at Zach underscore Goodall, Z-A-C-H underscore the monkey lady's last name. <laughs> you can find me, um, look up on iTunes, Spotify, megaphone.fm, uh, the Locked On Jaguars podcast. If you're interested in the Jaguars, be sure to subscribe. You can leave some reviews. Check us out. Let us know what we're doing right and wrong. Uh, we like to have fun on the pod. We do a couple episodes a week. We try to keep them about 20 minutes. Let it be for your ride to work. Um, just anything Jaguars-related, we will cover. We're doing a lot of interviews right now at the Super Bowl. Um, we've got one with Griffin. Uh, we got one with Mason Rudolph, Mike Giusecki, uh, Will Hernandez. So some other interviews we're going to try and work on. Um, Locked on Jaguars just launched its site. So if you guys want to actually read some content rather than listen, feel free to check it out at LockedOnJaguars.com. And um, if I'm ever down at UCF, you know, 
if you guys see me, give me a holler, and then I'll definitely hang out with anyone down there. I need to get to know the area more, but what a beautiful school it is. Well, yeah, definitely you got my number, so you can hit me up. I'll help you out, bud. Uh, exactly. I uh, definitely. Pre- definitely appreciate you uh, taking the time. I know it's busy with, uh, the, obviously, all the stuff's going on, even though the game just ended the AFC title game. But as you mentioned, you got the, uh, the this week of all the activities and getting ready for the draft and all that stuff. So it's never – it's never the NFL never stops. So I appreciate you taking the time for the busy schedule, and I'll talk to you soon, bud. Definitely. Thank you so much for having me on. And thanks again to Zach Goodall of Lock On Jaguars for joining us here on the Black and Go Banneret. Uh, quick thoughts here. Women's basketball uh, picked up a couple wins last week. They beat SMU on Saturday. That was their most recent victory uh, by a final 58-43. to Beat Tulane 59-51 uh, before that the week. They will be on the road on Saturday as they will take on Tulsa, a game that will be at 3 Eastern, a game you can watch on the American Digital Network, and then they'll be on the road on Tuesday, January 30th at Cincinnati uh, on the road. The Knights women's team, of course, Coach Abe, currently a record of 13-7 and on the season, 5-2 and in the conference. RPI coming into the week around 51. They're going to need uh, to build that resume to have a shot at the NCAA. But they're 5-2 and two with the two losses coming to the two best teams in the league. Let's hear from Coach Abe following the win against SMU, courtesy of the American Digital Network. Well, Coach, you sweep SMU the entire season here. Talk about this victory here at the home court and what it means moving forward here in conference play. Yeah, I mean, obviously they're, they're a really good team, and we've never swept them before. For Leah and all of our seniors, they've never done that. And so every game's like a first for us, and so... We always talk about those little firsts and the little miracles and every game counts and this is a big win for us because they have some great players on the team. And you see we're undersized and they were so much bigger than us. So we just really had a fight to box us out and we did a good job. You talked about cleaning up the defensive efforts in the second half. The girls certainly did not let up on the gas pedal. How impressed are you with them to be able to fight the way they did? Like you said, they were undersized in this contest. Yeah, I, actually the first two minutes of the third quarter I said why do we ever go to timeout I mean halftime because they came back right away boom 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 scored six straight points and so we got to do a better job coming out but then Z makes some big time shots and got some steals and got some tips and we did some good things so and we played half the game without Moss so we were really undersized. Lastly Niala Schuler and Thigpen did incredible things for you on the boards how much credit can you give those young ladies? A lot like I just said they're both guards and four things are playing the four and the five for us and they're Niza three and Kayla's a two. And so when we're injured like we are, everybody else has just got to step up. So I'm very proud of them. And that's Coach Abe following the victory. So interesting, pivotal two road games there for for them to see if they could kind of really set it up because you realize with their schedule coming up, I mentioned after that they host Memphis. Uh, So they've got an opportunity to get some wins. And then after that, oh, yeah, number one ranked UConn comes in Wednesday, February 7th. So might want to get your wins before that UConn game. And, of course, they still host USF, who's in the top 25 on Sunday, February 18th. Uh, other notes in the sports world, you mentioned Murph. We had on earlier, Brian Murphy. Baseball Media Day taking place on Friday. You see a baseball ranked in the top 25 in Baseball America. They're ranked 22nd. Uh, very exciting about that. It's certainly a lot of high expectations. They will open the season at home against Virginia on February 16th. Softball is a couple weeks away from starting their season 
as they will open up against Louisville on February 9th. And we hope to here on the Black and Gold Banneret podcast will have audio uh, from Coach Lovelady and as well as Coach Gillespie leading up to those respective seasons. We'll have audio from Media Day on their next edition of the Black and Gold Banneret and uh, certainly get you set for the softball season, which is just a couple weeks away. So those are a couple things to look for here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Uh, shout out to the women's tennis team off to a 2-0 start, knocking off number 15-ranked South Carolina on Friday, 4-3 in tennis action up at Lake Nona at the USTA Center. Then they knocked off North Texas. So a big start for the women's tennis team. They will now play, host Alabama. Ooh, hey, Friday, January 26th. Battle of, you know, that whole football thing. wonder if there was any... Plot lines there. Alabama and UCF uh, home game Friday, 5 o'clock Eastern on that one. That's a pretty good one. But a big start for that women's tennis team uh, with a big upset over South Carolina to open the season uh, to go from there. So uh, very interesting plot line. The men's team is going to get set. Uh, obviously, they started their season up at number nine. Florida, tough start there against the top ten Gator team that's very loaded. But uh, John Roddick, obviously, and his team, they'll be going out to California this weekend. They'll take on Utah State among a tournament there in California. They uh, then go to Auburn on Sunday, February 4th. Speaking of deja vu, hopefully for some better, uh, they get the same luck they, that football did at the Peach Bowl before their home opener on Wednesday, February 7th. All right, so that'll do it for here on this edition of the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Thanks again to Brian Murphy for joining us as well as Zach Goodall. Uh, keep it on blackandgoldbanneret.com uh, for all the latest news some articles and much more on UCF Athletics as well as follow us on the podcast, of course. You can listen to us on iTunes. You can follow us, uh, subscribe, and uh, save comments. You know, Jeff loves comments, so give us uh, some thoughts there. So uh, that will be uh, fun. We know our viewers uh, enjoy the, the content. I know people are also on our Facebook page, write comments, and uh, so we certainly encourage that. Uh, in depth no question about that and of course you can always follow us on Twitter and uh, that's always a, a very popular place you'll see as well for the Black and Gold Banneret and uh, just a, a hey just because football season's done of course we know that recruiting signing days coming up and all that but uh, a lot of stuff going on that'll be something I'm sure we'll be breaking down in the next week as well with uh, signing day right just about a week away I believe so but you can follow us on Twitter at UCF underscore Banneret. So that's where you can follow us on Twitter. Hope to have Jeff back next time. Until then, I'm Eric Lopez. We hope you've enjoyed this edition of the Black and Go Banneret podcast.